Homelessness in our city is far too big an issue for just one conversation. But Las Vegas City Councilman Brian Knutson is uniquely positioned as the Ward 1 representative, that's where the medical district resides, to explain how health care could be a way to help stop homelessness. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, Brian joins us for a frank conversation about the pilot programs he's advocating to intervene before homelessness happens and the criticisms that current approaches have sparked. Buckle up as we drive right over the rhetoric and swerve into the fray. It's Thursday, October 6, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Las Vegas Councilman for Ward 1, Brian Knudsen. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. I am so happy to be here. Thank you, David. And Brian, I know you personally. Uh, you kind of have a reputation for really building coalitions and doing some stuff behind public eye in a way that then gets presented. And so what I want to do is talk about some of those projects that you've been working on. And I don't know if it's an exclusive, but certainly to uh, get the word out on some of the, the most pressing issues. What is the scope of homelessness as a concept in the Vegas Valley. The scope is getting much, much worse than I could have anticipated going into the office. When I worked in that space in nonprofit land, uh, prior to running for city council, we talked about a lack of shelter beds. We talked about opioid abuse. We talked about numbers of people without food security. Um, those challenges have what seems to me as, as multiplied exponentially since COVID. And so regionally, um, I, th I think that there's a, a lack of a cohesive system or structure to deal with the number, the sheer number of people who are becoming homeless. How, how long have you been a city councilman for the city of Las Vegas? Uh, three years, a little over three years. So some of the things that I think are biggest challenges that I work on behind the scenes are this preventing homelessness. It's the crisis response. Uh, and so this is this brings up my work with Metro and why I spend so much time with the Metropolitan Police Department is no matter what situation is going on, no matter which population, if there's an emergency, if there's a crisis, someone calls 911. That elicits this response from Metro. They're the first responder. They're the first to see what's going on. You, you mentioned crisis intervention, and I know that you are very intricately involved with a newer and newer version of a program of crisis intervention involving, like you said, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, but a little bit more than that. Can you describe that new program? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story. That's what we're here for. Uh, so I, I do ride-alongs all the time with the police department. It helps me understand the issues and challenges on the ground. Um, the most memorable experience I had was it was 9 o'clock in the morning. It was an 86-year-old African-American mother who called the police to try to evict her 40-year-old granddaughter who was living with her in an apartment off of Bonanza. It was a one-bedroom apartment. There was a mattress sitting in the living room, another mattress next to it. They both slept on the mattresses. Um, and in the bedroom was a, a separate bedroom for, uh, I think, a niece or a grandchild that occasionally visited. When we went there, the mother, or the grandmother had indicated that her granddaughter, her 40-year-old granddaughter, uh, was using drugs in the apartment. That wasn't allowed, and she wanted the police to kick her out. Uh, the police found the, the granddaughter who was near the area. Uh, they 
escorted her around the building. She had obvious track marks. I mean, she she, she was in rough shape, really, really rough shape. Uh, the grandmother was crying. There's a police officer there to try to console her to say, you know, what what are we supposed to do with this situation? What, what would you like us to do? Her grandmother wanted her admitted to rehab. Um, they talked to the granddaughter and said, okay, here's your choices. We can take you to rehab. We can take you to a shelter. Your grandmother doesn't want you to be here. Uh, the granddaughter got upset, picked up a few things out of the apartment and walked away. Just wandered off. Just wandered off. Okay. Um, because that's her right to wander off. She was doing, I'm sure they would have, they would have found something illegal, but that's not their intention. Their intention was to respond to the 911 call where the grandmother was afraid of her for her safety. Um, three months later, that apartment burned down. I don't know if she burned the apartment down or not, but the imp- entire complex burned down. Um, and so that got me down this line of thinking is, where do we approach the problem before it becomes a much bigger problem? Before it literally burns up in before your face. Before it burns up in your face. And so uh, the county started this. I c- tried to uh, expand upon it. It's about creating a space where social workers are there with police officers. Every police officer I've been with doesn't want to deal with a social service issue. That's not well, their they're, issue. They're also not trained. They're not not trained at all and they don't want to be trained they want to catch bad guys that's what they're there for and so that's that's this next next concept and i think the next iteration of crisis intervention is can we get to people before it becomes a bigger issue before the building burns down if there was a social worker there could they have appropriately talked with that granddaughter about here's access to food, here's access to healthcare, can we get you into a rehab facility um, and help provide some of those things that you won't get on the street because that's the next place and you're going to do anything you can to avoid being on the street, including invading your grandmother's space. Would a social worker have made a difference? I I think so. I hope so. Um, I think that's the next iteration of Southern Nevada is getting to the problem before it becomes a bigger problem. Housing is an issue. We'll get to housing later. Um, but we have to we have to stop it before it becomes a bigger issue than what it is. I'm sure when you deal with your constituents uh, in any context, it's almost invariably a, a safe bet that homelessness will come up. And I think that's because we, it, we, we see so many different variations. We see people who appear to be unsheltered screaming at the sky and the cars and the ground. We see people curled up on the ground, covered in filth or, you know, open wounds. We're seeing groups of people with bedding and tents in the business areas. Some people are very empathetic. They want to see these people rise up. Some people are very scared. Some people are just very callous and, and are looking at the the impact on the finances, et cetera. But for whatever reason people come to it, it's very, very visible. So what's the city doing right now? So housing's the first priority along with the county. There's hundreds of millions of dollars going into building out affordable housing. That's a, a key initiative of the entire region. Um, on the homeless perspective, I had a woman in my ward uh, attack me basically on social media about doing nothing. And so I invited her to come out and see the courtyard. Can you describe the courtyard really quickly? Because I, I have criticized in the past, but I, I want you to lay it out in its most, you know. Yep. Positive form. Yeah, and I can be just as negative. I say it's a solid C minus effort. Um, it's a it's an open air shelter with no barriers. So the biggest challenge our, our folks who are homeless struggle with is if they are uh, struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse, they're not going to be allowed into the shelters. So this is an open air shelter that's uh, going to be heated in the winter and cooled in the summer. They have access to showers. They're going to have access to laundry facilities, access to put their pets uh, in a kennel, and access to store their stuff along with access access to medical care. The next iteration of that will include expanded shower access because right now we're serving anywhere between three and 500 people a day. It'll expect to go up to 800 people a day. How many people are homeless right now in our valley? Best estimation. 6,000 with, we have approximately 2,000 shelter beds. So you have an any given minute, you have 3,500 people or so on the street. 
Okay. So please continue. What else is the courtyard suggesting that they offer? So we have a, a inpatient respite center for people who are discharged from the hospital that have wound care or some level of just got out of surgery and are homeless, uh, have nowhere else to go. That's a 38-bed facility. My behind-the-scenes look is that the IFC, the Senate Finance Committee, the Legislative Finance Committee, hopefully will be approving $10 million to match the city's $10 million to build out a 75-bed crisis residential center to do both inpatient rehabilitation as well as intervene on that crisis side to see if there's some mental health supports that can be added before they end up back on the street as well. Would that be at or near the courtyard? That'll be near the courtyard on Main Street. Yeah. So that, that if it gets approved by the, the, the legislative branch uh, on October 20th, I imagine construction will start on that in a year. And that's a $10 million from the city, $10 million from ARP funds. Um, in addition, the city has three 20, I think they're 24 hour now, uh, more response teams where they go out with social workers to try to uh, ask people to, to leave off the street and go to a service provider, the courtyard in particular. So the, the more program, which involves social workers, is that something different from the crisis pilot program that you mentioned before? And how do they differ? The more program really targets um, encampments. So they go to those uh, where you see large encampments in our community. They go and they try to introduce themselves, to provide basic supplies and try to get them enrolled in our HMIS system, the computer system that kind of tracks what resources are going to folks. And do you know how many people they interact with day to day? I know the data on it. Uh, I don't know how many interactions they have, but it takes anywhere between 15 and 18 interactions before one person will get on that van. Um, and so their their success rate is about one in a hundred. Um, high, highly uh, expensive model uh, with very little results. Uh, it's disheartening, but as often is said in these circles, something is better than nothing. So generally speaking, the city has the courtyard. They say that they are offering these various services for the people, the percentage of people who are on the streets who want to take advantage of it. Obviously, some people don't. What are the critiques that you're hearing about this courtyard model? They're afraid. Uh, I went on a ride along with our fire department and there was a, we picked up a gentleman. Uh, it was on Fremont right next to the the big fire shooting bug. They called him in because he, he hadn't gotten up in several hours. He was probably 70-ish, was struggling with a variety of medical issues, but was there or called 911 because of heat stroke, essentially. So he was in a wheelchair. We pulled him up onto the, the gurney, brought him into the hospital, and he looked at me and he said, I, I recognize you. I said, I don't know how you recognize me. He's like, I watch you on my phone. I watch you at the city council meetings. And I was like, okay. okay. Um, so, so we had a, a good conversation while he was laying there and there was nothing much wrong with him other than heat stroke. He had a variety of long-term physical issues. Um, but I, I asked him, I was like, what would you like to see from me? What would you like to be, be better? And he's like, his response was, you need to do something about homeless. And I was like, have you been to the courtyard? Uh, and his response was, it's too scary down there. I'm not going to go back. And so he chose to live on Fremont Street as opposed to going to the courtyard. Um, I, I get it. There, there's there's a lot of people at the courtyard. Um, there's armed security. There's uh, not armed security walking around. Uh, the one rule is that you can't fight. Um, but that that population fights amongst themselves, and it becomes a very tenuous. And when you have crowds of them, they start to create a, an environment where people are scared to go into it. Okay. So th the city of Las Vegas's approach is really centric from my understanding of what you're telling me right now and what I've also read, the courtyard is kind of like the the hub of it all. What is the county doing? Because the city is part of the county, right? So what what is the county doing differently or in addition to that? They're different 
approaches to the same issue. Both of them are necessary. So I look at it as it's not an either or, it's both and. The county chooses to focus more on housing first. Totally an appropriate model, um, making sure there's enough housing for folks to go to. So the challenge with what the city's doing is that our folks in the shelter, there's unshelter, uh, there's nowhere for them to go. So they go, they try to get as many services as possible, try to stay alive, uh, try to keep out of the environment. The county's focus is on building more housing and creating more stabilized housing environments for them to go to. We're 80,000 units short, so we're going to be doing this for a while. It's not going to happen overnight. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Is there a conflict between the county's approach and the city's approach that is problematic for you as as someone who wants to problem solve? It's uh, it, it's not a either or. It's a both and. Everyone's trying to tackle the same challenge. We're trying to complete the same puzzle. We have different pieces to it. Sometimes we argue over which piece comes first. And I want to talk about the argument. Is it at a point where the perspective of the county's approach to homelessness and the city's approach to homelessness, while they might just be a matter of different priorities, are in such conflict that it creates problems? No, not for me. I, I would say the... The problem that I would argue and articulate is that everybody focuses in on the conflict. The actual issue is, is that the state doesn't fund appropriately mental health care services. And so we have to kind of talk about that as a state, identifying a legislature that's willing to create an issue or identify an issue and fund appropriate solutions for that. So everybody's clamoring over the same dollars. There's not enough dollars. It's not even close to what is needed. So it's easier to fight. It's easier to fight over priorities when neither priority is funded appropriately. And and in the interim, people seem to still be suffering. And that got to hit everybody right in the stomach, right? The entire community. Let me pivot just a little bit. I hear you talking a lot about this intersection between uh, addressing some of the issues associated with homelessness and medical care, the new medical district that is in your ward in the city that is burgeoning, and also something to do with insurance and, and Medicaid. It seems like a lot of pieces in this very three-dimensional world that are beyond my understanding, and I don't know that people are talking about. Can you kind of bring all those pieces together in a way that someone can understand what you're involved with? Yeah, so I, I would bring it back to 
for those listening, if you have any experience with poverty. When I was going to graduate school, I lived in a 400 square foot apartment. Uh, I paid my $800 a month for that apartment, and I made about $1,200 a month being an intern for the California governor's office. And so every month I would have to choose how I spent my $400. The last thing I paid for was was food. At that point in time in my life, I didn't go see a dentist. I never saw a doctor because I didn't have health insurance. The challenge in building out healthcare here is recognizing that if you have a, a, a broken tooth, if you have a, a, a decaying tooth, it occupies all of your thoughts. Before you think about paying your rent, you're going to be thinking about this tooth in your mouth. Uh, the story about that, I was on another ride along with our Department of Public Safety. There was a, an individual who I believe uh, didn't have a house. Uh, so he threw a rock through a, a car window and sat there and waited for someone to call 911 to come and pick him up because he had a decayed tooth. Wow. Because he needed to go see a dentist. And the only place he was going to see a dentist was jail. And we hear this a lot that the jail is the number one provider of mental health most definitely. attention in the county and that most people who are unsheltered get the, all their medical care from UMC, from emergency room care, yes. no matter how big or small. Yes. And for, for good example, I mentioned most privileged, most accessed person here. I totally identify with that. I couldn't find a therapist for my son who I think needed a therapist. It took me nine months to get an appointment. So if I can't do it, what is it like for someone who's living in a one bedroom apartment with her granddaughter who is struggling with a drug addiction or, or someone alcoholism. who doesn't even have that. What if they don't know that doctors or dentists are out there and what if there's not enough when they do? Mm -hmm. So that's what I focused on in building up healthcare is let's first identify those key issues. We do have enough food in our community. Um, you have to know how to get to it, but there's enough food. We do not have enough access to housing or healthcare. Those two things are desperately missing. So before we can ever get down to why are people homeless, we have to make sure we're addressing those things that they're going to think about first, which is how are they going to pay their rent? And if they have a medical or a dental issue or emotional health issue, are we able to take care of those? Because the next step, if you can't take care of those things, is homelessness. So this is the, in my opinion, this is how we address it, not right now. This is how we address it 30 years from now. And that's a really stark, sad statement to make is for the folks on the streets right now, we did not prepare well enough. We are woefully inadequate. I've heard you in talks about the needs of our community talk about something called FQHC. What's a FQHC and how does that fit into this conversation? A federally qualified healthcare center, FQHC. So it, uh, it is a, a healthcare center where an individual who doesn't have access to everything that you or I would have can go and see a doctor, get prescribed medications, potentially see a dentist, potentially see a therapist. We have the fewest per capita, just like everything else in Nevada compared to the rest of the country. Um, what it does is it provides for a guaranteed reimbursement amount from the state and federal government. So you have greater access to healthcare professionals because those healthcare professionals are being paid at the rate that is appropriate. Ideally, we would have FQHCs throughout every medical desert that we have in Southern Nevada so that if those private practice doctors who only take private insurance aren't taking self-pay patients, that those folks have somewhere to go. We do hear a lot of people say, well, it's a mental health crisis. We just need to pour more funding, access more funding for mental health care. How does mental health care enhancement or funding or accessing that funding help the homeless? 
this is my behind the scenes experiment and I, I really hope it works. Um, but if there's people out there that have a different idea, please let me know now. Um, so it's this crisis residential. This is what I think will happen is if someone uh, gets picked up by Metro because they're doing something that somebody calls 911 on, my hope is is that Metro can bring them to this, this place or if they wander off the street and they end up at this place, they can take a warm shower, get some new clothes, have some food, get removed from whatever situation was was overwhelming for them, whatever that crisis was, and rethink their spot. As of right now, what happens is that person who got in a fight with their grandmother or had some kind of domestic issue in their home, they get picked up by Metro and brought into a jail or they got get brought into an ER. And that I believe is that point in time where they say my life went in a different direction. I got arrested. I spent three days in jail. I lost my job. I lost my family support system. And weeks or months later, I ended up on the street. I'm hopeful that if we put them in an environment that allows them to rethink what actions they just did or were taking, uh, that they are able to reposition before they end up in jail or the ER. How is that different from the courtyard? It's The courtyard is a place for people to go and have shelter from the environment. The crisis residential that I'm talking about is a mental health professional, a physical health professional, someone to come in and say, can we get you to somewhere else? Whatever you're going through right now, if you just got in a fight with your grandmother, are we able to let you take a warm shower, give you some clothes, here's some options for, for rehab if that's what you're looking for, here's some food, maybe your grandmother's not the right place for you to live, is there somebody else that you can go to? Let's help you think through your life right now. And I think that's what data would show us is, is in that moment of crisis, you're going to end up in the ER or the or the jail. If we remove them from the crisis, give them 12 hours to rethink, maybe they'll make different decisions. So if we just let them take a break for 24 to 36 hours, uh, it's Medicaid reimbursable. That's important because everything's a business. You got to make money. Then that's the potential. And it's only 75 beds. So I'm, I'm still giving us a strong C minus uh, because the population, like, like I said, is over 6,000. And that's just homeless, not the people who are on the verge of homelessness. And I heard that Medicaid reimbursable in there as well, which I understand is important. All right, last question, Brian. Why do you think homelessness is such an intractable problem for cities like Las Vegas around the country? It has always been an intractable problem. I, I think what makes it more difficult to deal with or talk about here going into our government structures. I think the part-time legislature makes it really complicated. I think our lack of a, an effective tax system makes it complicated. But at the end of the day, we're, we're reliant upon tax dollars in one way or another to fund a lot of these initiatives. And if people don't prioritize tax dollars, then there is no there is nothing. You, you can fight all you want about priorities. We don't have enough for any one priority anyway. And so we, we have to find a happy medium where we can do the most that we can for as many people as possible, understanding that we have a lack of systemic support to do that. Councilman Brian Knudsen of City of Las Vegas, thank you for your thoughtfulness and for engaging this conversation. And good luck to you in the future on this issue and all others. Thank you, David. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey there, it's Vogue. I'm back with a few things going on around town. It looks like the embattled CCSD Superintendent Jesus Jara will be sticking around for a while. The school board has extended his contract through the summer of 2026, and they gave him a $75,000 raise. He'll make just under $400,000. If you're one of the top 10% residential water users in the Valley, your bill's going up. <laughs> the Water District will now impose an excessive use fee for such people, as much as $300 a month. Unless you're in the top 1%, then it might cost you thousands. So watch that spigot, people. 
Last but not least, a message from listener Jeff Breeden about Monday's Nevada pronunciation episode. I wanted to share that I've corrected people all over this country. I'm polite but firm the first couple times. After that, I burn with the intensity of the July sun on a cloudless day. Those of you that have been here a while know how that goes. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Thanks for calling in, Jeff. And if you, too, would like to share your thoughts or questions about a CityCast Las Vegas episode, give us a ring. We're at 702-514-0719. That's a wrap here today on CityCast Las Vegas. If this episode gave you some new food for thought, then send it to your smartest and bestest friends. Give us a follow, too, and maybe a few stars while you're at it. Don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter. It is fantastic. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon.